0: In this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Russia's power windows. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran, Paul Zotter, Ken Gregory, and Colby Dransfield as we begin our discussion of Russia's power windows. All right, well, should we should we get into the uh, the, the official spiel here? Since we spent a half an hour discussing all sorts of stuff, and then we can actually talk about Power Windows. Yes. All right. So, Power Windows was released on October fifteenth, nineteen eighty five. As Paul mentioned, it was produced by Peter Collins and Rush. It was released on the label Anthem. Features Getty, Alex, and Neil. Power Windows is the 11th studio album by Canadian rock band Rush, released in 1985, recorded at the Manor and Sarm East Studios in England and Air Studios in Montserrat. It was the first Rush album produced by Peter Collins, the first recorded digitally and the first to be released directly to CD. Power Windows introduced more synthesizers into the band's sounds. The music videos... For The Big Money and Mystic Rhythms both received significant play on MTV. During the period when the album was produced, the band were expanding into new directions from their progressive rock bass, having tightened up their sidelong suites and rhythmic extractions into balled-up song fists, art pop blasts of angular slashing guitar, spatial keyboards, and hyper-percussion, all resolved with forthright melodic sense. We need to look up on the uh, on the reference who wrote that pile of drivel. Yeah, right. By 1986, five of the album's eight tracks had been released as singles. Um, so, let's read that again. Balled Up Song Fists. Yeah. Wow. Having... And this is all a quote. Having tightened up their sidelong suites and rhythmic ex- abstractions into balled-up song fists, art pop blasts of angular slashing guitar, spatial keyboards, and hyper percussion, oh all resolved gosh. with forthright melodic sense.
1: Well, we can pretty much ignore that because it was it was written by some dildo at at Rolling Stone magazine. So God, that is that is such a
0: Rolling Stone thing. Christ, I. Well, at least they didn't put the word
2: angst in there. Well, that... (laughs) Honestly...
0: Balled up long fists. What the fuck is that? Rolling Stone is... I I used to read it when I was in college because I thought it was cool. And it was the word angst. And the fact that it was in every (laughs) other paragraph that finally said, fuck this, I'm out of (laughs) here. Okay, so the, the song list is The Big Money, Grand Design, Manhattan Project, Marathon, Territories, Middletown Dreams, Emotion Detector, and Mystic Rhythms. Mm. All right, so we've already talked about the uh, the keyboard content in the Big Money, but Paul, I think you really, really hit the nail on the head, and that is freaking Getty Lee just playing his face off on this
1: yeah I mean I, I remember seeing that video and just like sitting there trying to trying to look at Getty singing because you know obviously they're lip syncing on in the video but I'm trying to like watch him sing and and his hands at the same time to see if he's actually doing it and um it's it's just insane but but one of the cool things In I think there were in everything that I read about Power Windows, um, all three of them, Neil, Getty, and Alex, all talked about how cool it was the way that um, the Peter Collins had them record that he really pushed them to be more live, like rather than doing what they had been doing up till that point, which was doing take after take of songs and then. After they felt like they had enough, they would they would kind of pick out the best takes of each section and, like, splice it together. He kind of put them... He kind of... They had demos going in, and he gave them guide tracks on the demos and basically said, I just want you to play, play it from front to back. If it's good, we'll keep it. If it's not, we'll scratch it. And they just had a ball playing, and he really wanted to capture, like, the live energy of the takes. And all three of them in the different ways that they talked about the album talked about how much fun that was and how particularly for Neil, how a lot of, you know, some of his most great moments were just on the fly during those takes. And I think again, in big money, the big money is a great example of, you know, we, we've talked earlier in episodes about Neil sort of having this wild track in him and being, uh, a um, Keith Moon type of drummer. I think it's never more present than it is in the Big Money. I mean, he is an animal in the Big Money. It's awesome.
0: And 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 we're not going to talk about it here necessarily, but I have been spending a little bit of time with a show of hands this week as well, and yeah, a lot of it may be overdubbed, as we know Rush like to do that, but. Just sort of imagining, if you will, that Getty is actually playing that bass line and singing at the same time
2: live is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, I that that's the first thing that comes to my mind um, every time I hear the the big money. I I can't. <clears throat> I mean, just with the great bass players that we talk about, you know. Uh, Chris Squire, or you know, I mean, uh, Steve Harris. Hopefully, we'll talk about. Um, I mean, these guys um, just do fantastic things, Um, and they they redefine gravity. And the fact that he is playing and singing at the same time, doing this is is actually. this stands out to me as just one of the most difficult things that you could do <laughs> in in the Rush world. And that's saying a lot because a lot, of, I mean, most of the stuff that we talk about are uh, pretty impressive parts. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if you weren't singing, I mean, this is just an insane bass line. Yeah. And it really, um, it's really fun to listen to. But I mean, the most important thing, gentlemen, I mean, is that, is that the song is a great song i mean even if i mean i wouldn't give it the time of day if it wasn't a good song just because i had a good baseline so i mean uh, the fact that i um you know, want to talk about it so much is because the song stands alone as a great song and um the the baseline is a bonus and the fact that he's playing it and singing at the same time is a bonus and all, all these other things that we talk about are are, 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 are bonuses, but um, this is this is a fantastic song, and it's a great one to open up uh, the album with. And it's another example, and I I don't know if we talked about this before. It's another example of the fact that Rush made a good decision making this the single. <laughs> and I know we always revert back to maybe King's X's bad decisions with their singles, with (laughs) their uh, singles, their, their singles. Um, But this is another one of Rush's great decisions for singles. And it did very well for him. I mean, for, especially for Rush, this was in uh, opened up in the top 10. So, I mean, this was um, maybe not an eighties hit that we would um, think of in terms of eighties hits, but um, it, it, it did do very well for him.
1: I don't even know what to, to talk about with the guitar tone because you know Joe, you mentioned it at the beginning, but that the riff at the end, yeah, is that he just plays it over and over. It just it is the the tone is so giant. It's so delicious and it's so it's it's almost impossible to get that sort of size tone just like playing at home. Um, and, and it's and it's so clean. It's it's just really. It's just really, it just really blows me away. And I have to say, um, there's nothing that I think gets me more pumped for my day at work. So so the the very last light before I uh, kind of make my last entree into my workplace, Uh, if I start a song on that, pretty much by the time I get to my parking spot in the garage, I <laughs> the song will be over. So it's just around five minutes. To the last the last little leg.
2: Unless and, it's twenty one twelve, but okay, go ahead.
1: Right, right. So if I listen, if I if I start the big money, pretty much just as I'm pulling into the underneath, like the entrance of the garage, I I'm doing so while I'm singing. Big money got a mean streak. Big money got no soul. And there's just something that really pumps me up to get started with my day as <laughs> I uh, you know as I pull into a, a you know global multi-billion dollar corporation.
3: <laughs> uh rebel
0: you <UR>, are, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> So, that brings us to Grand Designs. What are our thoughts on Grand Designs, gentlemen? It always sounds better than Big Money
3: to me. It just sounds like, oh, okay, all right. That was the pop song. Now, here's a real song.
2: (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I mean, it. I mean they're all great when you put them up against one another. Um, I don't know if there's a real weak song on this, on this album. I mean, uh, but I guess we'll find out as we go through, but, um, it's, it's another great one. I mean, what do you say about these? Um, you know, there's so many things to say. Sometimes you get overwhelmed with, um, with, with some of these songs. And, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll say, and it's not particularly about Grand Designs, as it is about the whole album. Um, and you certainly could say it with, with Grand Designs, rather, is that, um, you know, we often talk about you know what is prog rock, and if you know the long songs as opposed to the uh, shorter songs, and 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 things like that. Um, <clears throat> I think Getty um, said it. I'm going to try to get it up here. He said it very well in an interview. It was a Mark Goodman interview on MTV. Nice. And it was an interview um, promoting Power Windows. And he said, and I'm quoting, uh, we'd like to take the classic song structure and apply our ability within that to make it more complete and more textured. And I think it was nice to hear him say that, because I know we have discussed this before on prior episodes and that to me still you you earn the title of progressive rock when you do that within a four four and a half minute song what have you and this album i mean if you want to backstep just a second the you know the big money bass line i mean that's just insane and there's all these beautifully textured parts throughout this whole album. And Grand Designs is certainly one of them. Uh, And there are wonderful textures in here that you just don't hear anywhere else. And it's in a more simpler song structure. And it's so nice to hear this because I still hear I don't want to I don't want to go too far off the topic, but, I mean, I've been listening to a lot of Genesis this week, and there's more of a delineation between the prog Genesis and the popular Genesis. Um, and whereas Rush, you have prog Rock, Rush, but they they shorten the songs up, but you still get the meat in there. You know what I'm saying? You get the texture, you get the instrumentation, the composition, and you get all that stuff in a more compact, uh, four minutes, if you will, four and a half minutes. And that to me is always, even though we label things, okay, Cynthia, no Cynthia, whatever, Prague, no Prague, whatever this is still even though rush has its uh eras this is still earning the prog rock era this album in particular because um of really this this Getty lee quote it's the same thing you, you have this texture that other bands just aren't doing and just to make it interesting some bands may get lucky with a cool little song when they might have a couple parts that um makes them makes it unique but um this is uh, this stands out during the whole album it actually stands out during their real really their whole career but to me power windows is the epitome of that and um it's to hear these songs so textured with just um, just beautiful parts and just these musicianships, the, the, with the, the musicianship, and then still having the core great songs is, to me, uh, a major feat. And so, uh, you know, I know I'm kind of going, I'm digressing a little bit because we're supposed to be talking about Grand Designs, but, I mean, Grand Designs is a great example of that. Uh, with these with these parts so um i mean i i i think it's 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 a it's a a great song and um, when it comes on after big money um i'm there
1: yeah i i agree tom i i think they deliver these songs in you know more certainly more of like a compact way Mm -hmm. but they totally maintain their you know their progressive roots, their progressive rock sensibilities, and it's it's you know we, we maybe we're using the term progressive rock you know uh, too too much or too poignantly here. I don't know. I mean, it's just musical. They are you know Tears for Fears had songs from the Big Chair in the same year, and some of my favorite songs of all time come from that album. Mm. And they come at it from a much different place than the songs on Power Windows, as it should be, right? Rush delivers all of this in such a musical way. The arrangements on this album are phenomenal. And some of what they do is so subtle and and yet so powerful. And like the thing that kept coming to my mind throughout this last week or so that I was really focused on this album was it, there's just a certain maturity to it, right? There is a certain type of maturity that Alex has to have to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold back here while Getty's flipping off on the bass. I'm gonna fit in here and and you know, as much as we're saying that, you know, Getty's all over the place, there are plenty of places on this album where he's not even playing. Right? So he's he's holding back. They're they are using all of their musical ability and everything that's brought them to this very point in service of the song to create the best song, however long it needs to be, however long it is. There's even fades on this, plenty of fades on this. And they're just doing it in service of the song, and it works so well. And it, it Grand Designs is exactly what you said, Ken. It's like as, as amazing as, as big money is. Grand Designs starts, and they start kicking in, and you're like, okay, yeah, here we go. Now we're in. <laughs>
3: Thanks for throwing me a bone there, but <laughs> that's what my ears tell me when it kicks in. Oh man! Oh man! I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to do a quick shout out to the podcast world. Like a rare and precious metal beneath a ton of rock,
2: <laughs> it takes
3: some time and trouble to separate from the stock. You sometimes have to listen to. A lot of useless talk. <laughs> oh, couldn't, couldn't resist. And, of course, the other one is, um, all right, probably only 10% of the inspiration for our high school band. But against the run of the mill, static as it seems, we break the surface tension
2: with our <laughs> wild kinetic dreams. I'm glad that you brought this up because uh, I completely forgot about this. And every time I listen, I, I, I want to bring it up. Is this, and uh, now I don't remember. I, I know our listeners know nothing of this. and So I'll be brief. We'll probably cut, cut all this out. But did, was it this song that was the inspiration for the name Surface Tension? Or was, do, do we know any of this? All right. Well, since Manhattan Project is on the
3: same album, right, Joe? Yes. It, it, it was rumored in high school that chemistry teacher Ann O. Hess worked on the Manhattan Project, or some significant derivative thereof. And she was old enough, and I guess no one would have been surprised because so many thousands of scientists were enlisted and sent off to the desert in Nevada, of all places, New um, Mexico. Oh, Mexico. Okay, New Mexico. New Mexico. They keep making everything new. So the thing with 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 uh, surface tension, uh, it has to do with chemistry, and Dan pulled it from chemistry class. But there, we had all been listening to Rush, and there must have been validation. It's not enough. Just to yank a term from chemistry class and make it a band name. I think it. I think you know. I think it tied into prog rock in this weird way that we love by by this song by you know grand So that's what I think.
1: My question is: Were any of us really listening to Power Windows at at this eight when when it came out? Because I can. I, I mean, obviously, I got into everything a few years later, but I mean, I. <clears throat> I have such clear memories of Grace Under Pressure and 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 uh, moving pictures, uh, and even around um, uh, like subdivisions and signals. But I don't really remember too much too too much Hoopla, you know, in the halls of CB West about power windows when it, when it was out.
3: Right, you are. Yeah, Joe, you were into music. Do you remember any hoopla? <laughs> what?
0: What was the question?
3: was there hoopla surrounding our windows when we were in high school? Back in the right, day. Well,
2: one second. We should probably back up just for a second in case Joe doesn't cut all this out. We should tell our listeners that we were in a band in high school and it was called surface tension.
3: Damn and right. We were talking about
2: the surface tension that is in grand designs. That, uh, that 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 is some. So that is what all this shenanigans is is about, folks. So, yes. Uh, I guess, and, Paul, what you're getting at is, did any of us really know that there was a s- song? that had the word surface tension in it during the surface tension years right and or I did think, we i think that's what
3: you're
1: getting at. i just i mean i think uh, my guess,
3: i guess yes but paul's guess is pretty much
1: no i i'm thinking that uh, yeah i'm just based on what i remember i remember the story about mrs hess and that and that that being the birth of the surface tension um, and I, I'm just wondering. I just don't ever like Ken. I don't ever remember you and I talking about power windows in high school. I, I certainly don't remember Dan uh, either. Okay, and, I don't remember talking about kid gloves either.
3: But <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I've shared that you know my entree into Rush was it was basically in my freshman year of college, and upon returning to school the weekend after uh dan and ken blew my mind playing grace under pressure really loud in dan's car i went on a quest for this album and one of the friends that i had she said oh i have a rush album a cassette that i never listened to and if you'd like it i'll i'll let you use it i was like okay and it was power windows so at the time i had you know grace under pressure hemispheres spirit of the radio and power windows So of those four power windows was the most appropriate one that I had that I could put in the cassette deck and listen to while I was going to sleep at night. So I spent a lot of time in my freshman year going to bed, listening to power windows. And um, while I loved big money, Grand Designs was one of the, one of the first songs that really stuck to me as I laid there in the dark you know, listening intently and the, the words are just, you know, I'm interested to hear your opinion on the lyrics, Joe, because I think this is the, this is sort of the, the bridge for, for Neil Peart's lyrics, right? It, it it becomes as good as they are. They start to become a little, I don't know what the, I don't know how you would describe it, but they, they, they get a little contrived maybe. Um, Yeah. But I think that in Power Windows overall, they are—you know—it's just the right amount of um, of it being contrived, and it's still wonderful. And I just—I absolutely love that after all these years, that they're still singing and writing about, you know, being an individual. And I remember it being—you know—striking me in nineteen eighty-eight, eighty-nine, when I was listening to this and this being written in, you know, released in 85, you know, just the idea that it's hard to recognize a real thing when it comes along because there's so much shit that we're just bombarded with. Right. And this whole idea around this song. And I found a lot of inspiration about that of, you know, being who you are and trying to, to be true to yourself. And yeah, most of the time, it probably seems like if you're really going after what you want, you're probably swimming upstream. You're probably, you know, running against the mill. Um, and I just love it. And I love that that this is what they're still writing about and singing about, you know, all of these years later, you know, after they've experienced the success that they have. And um, I think I, I, it's just, it, to me, the lyrics are, Top notch throughout this whole album, but um, Grand Designs in particular, I like.
0: Cole, what a what mess. are your thoughts on Grand Designs?
4: <laughs> oh, it's probably my favorite song on the album. Really? Yeah, based on exactly what Paul said. <laughs> oh, I stole his thunder.
1: <laughs> I have I have a, a, a phenomenal memory of when Colby and I were living together in our apartment in college, I have a phenomenal memory of of sitting in the, in the living room area and we are listening as we often did to rush and we're listening to the end of grand designs. Oh, did he just, did he just go away? Oh, oh, he's he's there. there. Oh, he's there. Okay. My video keeps shifting around and he keeps disappearing. Okay, good. And as we're, as it gets to the end, you know, there's a din dan- 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 and din and din and then it goes den it, den, and there's all these different rhythmic patterns that go on. Yes. And Colby is air like drumming to the cymbals and playing. And he has every single move down. He's got every pass. He knows exactly. <laughs> and it gets to the it's oh, it's starting to fade. And he does the boom boom And I, it was just it was a <laughs> hysterical. And I loved it. I uh, that burned into my head, Colby.
4: How do you remember this stuff? <laughs> he's, he's powerful. He's terrifying. It's, it's so powerful it's stuff. stuff. <laughs> it's twenty five years ago. How do you remember? <laughs> how is this what you remember? Because
1: uh, you know how I remember it is. Every time I hear the song, I try to match the, and I don't know the pattern, and I'm and I think back. Colby knew it. He he did it perfectly. <laughs> I don't know it now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, so, Paul, that, that is awesome because I happen to be sitting here looking at a quote from Getty Lee from a guitar player interview in April of '86. Oh, God. That's and and Getty of- says invariably, every time we decide we're going to fade out, we start getting into the fade, and everyone loosens up, and the track starts getting better. That happened with Mystic Rhythms. The fade out is about a minute long because we liked every little nuance. The end of Grand Designs is also like that. There are about seven phrases, and they're all different. None of that was planned. Neil was doing the drum track, and at the end, the sequencers were going, and he just kept punching in and going, basically flailing and hacking through it. Every Everybody loved it, so we decided to keep it in. Then we learned, had to learn how to play it on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not the
3: first band to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, their influence, their influence, yes, used to slash tape around and learn that shit, you know, in, in post. So
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so Paul, you asked me about um, my thoughts on the lyrics for this song and or this album. And, and you know, generally speaking, I agree with you. And, and I think we started, you know, while this album is is really good and grace under pressure was spectacular as we already discussed and i think there are, are some some definite <clears throat> high points on hold your fire and even presto this this sequence of albums though in terms of the lyrics i start to see sort of the beginning of the end um you know, we, we talked it last week about, um, distant early warning and, and, you know, Neil was just, we had uh, we had a quote where Neil was describing this sort of style he was trying to do. So we're at this point now where, where Neil is, is starting to explore, you know, the, the art form of, of lyrics and wordplay and, and, and everything else. And I, you know, I, I don't, i haven't seen i don't know you know where where it is but but you're right and you know you you start to see it even here in grand designs and grand designs is brilliant but some of the rhyming and and the the rhyming structure starts to become a little obvious i think is is neil's greatest sin later on And, and you start to sort of see that here although again on the whole, I think the lyrics here are are, are really really stellar, um, but I do, do think you start to sort of see you know cracks in the pavement, so to speak, and, mm-hmm. with regards to that. But but that that doesn't take anything away from Grand Designs. I think Grand Designs is absolutely brilliant, and uh, I too absolutely you know love this song. Big Big Money is sort of like you know the 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 big kick-it-off-in-your-face sort of thing, but I think Grand Designs may be a little bit more sublime. Colby, you have some thoughts? I have a point.
4: That is the one song where I think Rush, their sequencing went off. Mm, really? There's a spot there where it, it, it goes... It's like they didn't quite finish it. I feel like they were still learning how to do the whole... Sequencing thing with the keyboards. Maybe no. it's just me. It always bothered so, me. So,
2: Kobe, what you're saying is it's because it was so early in the synth era. <laughs> oh no.
3: Oh no. Colby, you missed the whole debate about whether or not there even is a synth era. <laughs> oh.
0: So you guys got me there. Nice. 17th. 17.8% Colby we're going to have shirts made up that's all you got to know um, <laughs>
3: Joe but, measured he used a stopwatch and he measured the synth content he said the, the the predominantly synth sections of the big money was only 17.8% of the entire track
0: hey if you're going to bring a PhD chemist to the party this is what's going to happen I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but but in, in in all seriousness i do i recall or have i heard i should probably check my liner notes since they're right in front of me that didn't they bring in someone to do the sequencing on this album they, they did have,
1: they did have some help yeah yeah hmm.
4: so i don't know what that has to do with anything but there you go yeah, I feel like i'm just here hanging right now uh, okay well that's yeah it's all good <laughs> I feel like my comment was just sort of left hanging there. Whatever. It's okay. I'll be all right.
3: <laughs> well, You're the voice of reality who kind of admits there kind of is a synth there. <laughs>
1: uh so it was Andy so it was Andy Richards and Jim Burgess who were in charge of the synthesizer programming. And so those would be the culprits of this small faux pas that you've you've discovered, Colby.
4: It was sort of like <laughs> like sort of like they. Which part of the song is it? Which part of the song? No, it's bad. They they failed there. <laughs> it's all wrong. wrong. It's all wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into another one of of yeah. Uh, Neil's history lessons with the uh, with Manhattan Project. You know, here again, clearly, this this is a, a sort of holdover. I think in themes from from Grace Under Pressure, and you know, it, I, God, I hate sounding like an asshole, but there's... My my, my gut reaction is <laughs> my gut reaction is this song shouldn't be as good as it is, <laughs> and yet it is. I it it sort of mystifies me in 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 some regards with that. Yeah, it probably shouldn't be as happy as it is either.
3: You know. Just... Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. Well, well, you know there, there's that uh, there's that one line coming out of. Imagine a man when it all began, the pilot of Enola Gay flying out of the shockwave on that August day. You're right, Ken. That almost comes across as triumphant. Yes. Exuberant. Yes. You know, it's like, ha, ha, ha. We just leveled entire city. Fuck <laughs> you. So I,
1: so, wow. Which, which
0: is not I, nice.
1: I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm shocked to hear, uh, to hear that reaction. um Because I have the exact opposite reaction. In fact, more often than not when i'm driving and listening to that song that's the part that chokes me up right the um the idea like you know <clears throat> imagine the man where it all began the pilot of enola gay flying out of the shock wave like really not really having any real idea of what was about to happen and then having it happen and imagine being there for the very first time that that hell was unleashed on the planet. I mean it well, and, and, I, you know I, I get the total opposite feel when I listen to that song
0: you know and, and and maybe you know Paul, and you did this last time as well, um or maybe <laughs> where, where did you do this to me before um oh, it was with uh, after image where you did this exact same thing, uh-oh. And, and I was taking sort of the, the obvious approach and maybe take not putting it in, in full context, because you're absolutely right. There's, there's no reason, given everything that we think we know about Neil, to suggest that he would be, you know, thinking this was a good thing. So I'm, I'm looking at this, and we, there's, a, there's a quote from Neil here in Far and Away. It wasn't easy to sell the notion of a historical rock song, even to my bandmates, but it was Getty, thinking as a singer, who suggested that I construct the song so that the listener was invited to imagine the scene. Imagine a time, imagine a man. So, you know, here, I think this is... We think, um, based on, again, what we think we know, that Neil has you know messages he wants to convey and and based on this quote here we actually have sort of the the interaction of Getty as the singer with Neil the lyricist of how to sort of package this and 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 sell it if you will to okay. the audience but anyway so so Neil is is you know he's he's presenting what ultimately is is a I'm not going to call it a dark time in human history, but it's certainly a questionable time in human history. Um, and and he does, you know, he does, he takes us in there. So you've got the scientist who develops it and, you know, I mean, that must have been sort of a conundrum from a scientist's point of view, because, you know, again, if, and, and Neil says it here, if the other guy gets it first, it's not going to be good for us. So we've got it, we have to do this. Yeah. And then you've, you've got the, uh, You've got the pilot who delivers that. And, you know, I w- actually, as I was listening to this, Paul, and, and maybe I was closer to your thoughts than, than maybe I, I originally thought of. I get kind of caught up in this. I was actually asking myself the question today, did the pilot of the Enola Gay know what was going to happen? Like, you know, did he have specific instructions of drop that thing and, and punch it and get the hell out of there? Or, you know, you're going to be engulfed in this or, you know, I wonder, you know, what sort of what knowledge he knew and if he, you know, had put any thought into into this. I mean, granted, he was he was a soldier. He didn't have the option to not do what he was ordered to do. But I mean, that's that's a that's got to be a heavy load to carry around with you for the rest of your life. I'm
1: thinking. Yeah, I I, I want to say so. I, I don't know if you've ever been to the World War Two Museum in New Orleans, um, but there's a whole area dedicated to the Manhattan Project and the dropping of the two, um, the two bombs. And I want to say that my recollection of walking through that was that the pilot did not know uh, the to the level. I think they all knew that this was going to be the the biggest thing they have ever dropped. But I seem to remember the thought being like, after it happened, he was like, wow, like couldn't believe what he saw. Um, And I don't know if one of the pilots committed suicide later in years later or not. I can't remember. Before I look that up, I'm going to let you know that nuclear bombs are of two types. Those that depend on fission, like atomic bombs and those that depend on fusion, like hydrogen bombs. So atomic bombs are actually a type of nuclear bomb. There you go. Yeah.
4: Mm. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. I thought you were going to say there's type 1 that's bad and type 2 that's (laughs) bad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My guess. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Any any other... Heavy thoughts on Manhattan Project? Yes, sir. Kenneth. Um, Joe, thank you.
3: Thank you for taking us there. Um, I, I just want to go into a little bit of levity, but but also the truth. Um, I, 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 there may be a lyrical error in this tune. Okay. Uh, just just going to run this by you. All of the brightest boys to play with the biggest toys more than they bargained for. If, in fact... CB West chemistry teacher Anne O Hess was on that job. It was not <laughs> the brightest boys.
1: <laughs> All right. Wow! Okay. Nice job, Ken. Nice you, job. Been coed
0: even back then. You wow. know, and let's this this is yeah. Let's let's just give a shout out to Ann O Hess because you know my my both my brothers had gone through CB West obviously before me. I had heard the tales of Anne Hess, and you know just the fact that you know I I would struggle to name virtually most of my teachers from high school. But not only do I remember Anne Hess, I remember her Anne O Hess. So you know we'll have to see if we can't get some sort of a picture and, and put that up on the show notes, Paul. Because shout out to Anne Hess.
3: Very good. You became a chemist.
0: Well. I wanted to be a chemist before I met her. So, yes, Colby.
4: I'd like to also point out that Albert Einstein really kind of paved the way for the <laughs> nuclear bomb. stuff <so. laughs> just want to put that out there. <laughs> I'm it's not sure problem. who the man okay. the- in uh, Manhattan Project. I think it was Albert Einstein. But, you know, there was the guy with the plane. I'm not sure. We we any
3: Pleiades anybody? How far back we want to go? So, well, you know maybe we should talk
2: about Tesla. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Tesla.
1: Know what that'll come up with. Mm. So so one of the well, like I just want to put a couple points uh, together on Manhattan Project because for me this is the best. This is my favorite song on the album. Although mm-hmm. I might end up I might end up ah. saying that two more times. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Good for you. Um, um, the, I, and I think what we've touched on is that, like, this is this. I, I think one of the amazing things, and if anyone ha- hasn't been to the World War II Museum in New Orleans, you have to go. Um, it's incredible. And I, I think if you look at World War II as as a as a as, for what it was, and you come out of it thinking about how we ended it and how we got out of it. There is, um, there, there are, I mean, I think there's a lot of, of opinions around, you know, good versus evil and all of that. Right. And, and dropping the bomb versus not dropping the bomb, etc. But I think that what Neil does with the lyrics of this song is, is sort of represent that, the spirit that, that exists in everybody, right? And for better or worse, right? So uh, the weapon that would settle the score, to whoever found it first would do their worst. And then you think about, you know, a scientist pacing the floor, always eager to explore, right? These different things that are driving different people and, you know, maybe you know they're they're doing this because they're all united in whatever side that they're on and they're trying to do this i just think he captures it in a way that is 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 nothing short of brilliant and it allows you to just imagine for yourself what happens and how it happened and what it must have been like to be a part of that just historical moment and it it, it hearkens me to think of a couple of things the I, i've never been able to comprehend this idea of Alex and Getty sitting in one room working on music and Neil sitting in like some other house or some other place in a little office doing nothing all day, but like writing song lyrics and trying to come up with ideas. And, you know, he talked about, he it's funny, Ken, that you, you said that cause he talked about, he read like a dozen books on the Manhattan project, because he wanted, if he, if he said, you know, gathered from across the land to work in the secrecy of the desert sand, he wanted it to be right. He wanted it to be accurate. So it's funny that, you know, he ends up using this all the brightest boys, um, which, although was probably appropriate for the day, certainly was not the case. Um, and it, it's just remarkable that, but but that's what it took to deliver something so brilliant, you know, 100 percent in immersion in what it was that he was trying to communicate. And I think from an arrangement perspective, so I've read a lot of things around, you know, how working with Peter Collins on this album, they, they expanded themselves with, uh, you know, different ideas around arrangements. And I think that there are such subtle parts of Manhattan project that are dynamic and They do different things that you don't hear. This goes back to your point, Tom, about they're maintaining progressive elements in a short song. Um, I think my favorite part of it is, um, you know, whoever found it first would be sure to do their worst. They always had before. And then there's these big guitar swells with all of these crashes. And... It comes into the dun-dun-dun, and it just sits out there, and it doesn't come right in on the one. There's just the slightest pause, and then it all comes back in. And it's, it's, to me, it's just um, it's a marvel. It really is. And beyond all of it, here you have Rush, and we've talked about Getty and the bass and the guitar. The first verse is just drums, vocals, and keyboards. There's no guitar or bass in the whole first verse. It's rush. You know, for them to even just do that is it, it just talk about being in servitude of the song. I think it just blows me away every time I, I listen to it. And um so I'm sorry, I'll be I'm done. I'm done with it. Sorry. Thank you. That's all I had to say. <laughs> no, I'd
4: great. It was. It's spectacular. Mm. Thank you, Paul. Am I still here?
0: <laughs> <Yes>. yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, so Just you're still there, man. But let's talk about Marathon, which, which may very well be my favorite song on this album.
4: Mm. Mm.
0: Uh, so looking at this, um, Neil tells us that this song is, quote, about the triumph of time and a kind of message to myself. Because I think life is too short for all the things that I want to do. There's a self-admonition saying that life is long enough. You can do a lot, just don't burn yourself out too fast trying to do everything at once. Marathon is a song about individual goals and trying to achieve them. And it's also about the old Chinese proverb, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Love it. Absolutely love it. For me, I just... And this is kind of ironic, given given all the shit that I gave to the uh, the Cynthia thing, given the chorus in this song. But uh, I just I love it. I love I love that that sort of uh, exultant chorus. I love sort of the song structure, um, with the, with the different parts leading into that. I, I just yeah, there's so much about this song that just works for me.
1: Yeah, I mean Cynthia or no Cynthia. The synths are fucking loud in the chorus of this song.
0: Yeah, they are way loud. <laughs> you know, and and yeah. I, but but they're very enjoyable. So it's a yes, right.
1: That's
4: for sure. That is for sure.
0: All right, so that's it for marathon. Great. That was cool no, marathon. no, no,
4: no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying to recharge my phone.
0: Oh,
4: okay. <laughs> I'm tight. I'm wandering. Around, I'm wandering around my house. House trying to find. Charging apparatus. So,
0: Kobe, so, so mm-hmm. I am going to, like, start giving you a checklist at about <laughs> 3 o'clock on recording day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. <laughs> All right. So, Ken, you gave me the big thumbs up when I expressed love of Marathon. Are, are you in the camp? I just like the beat, sir. It just kind of moves me. <laughs>
1: Like probably run
3: to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, uh, um, uh, you know, it's just not as memorable as the first two. And by the time you get to that point in the album, you're either digging it or you're not. Um, it's it's something that I I only learned to love in this exercise. It, you know, in, in past listens, it didn't really hit me. It was just something flying by. Um.
0: I'm going to say it rocks. I'm going to say it sustains me. I, I, I honestly didn't know what the lyrics were. You know, it. it I, I have difficulty when we do this because I listen to these things over and over again and I try to make my notes and, and I try to keep everything straight and then I get into the, the actual thing and I get all twisted up. But do I want to say that the the, the solo section in here is really interesting? Yeah. I, I've got the right one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one of those things
1: where, you know, the solo section here is this complicated bass line, and you sit there, and I'm thinking, boy, what what is Alex going to play over this? I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's odd signature, it's this crazy bass, it's super busy, and for some of the time, he actually plays the same riff, as the bass, and um, and then they out of nowhere <laughs> we get the subdivision keyboards, or actually no, I'm sorry, it's the Y Y Z keyboards come in the <laughs> and then <laughs> then Alex, what's rips happening? Off, rips off an incredible. Oh, solo oh it epic. looks like an octopus attack. <laughs> You're right. <on. laughs>
4: No, this
1: my phone. This started out as the most technologically advanced episode, and then it really crashed. Really? That's shocking. You know, right at, right after the YYZ, right after the YYZ um, synths come in, that you get you get the rhythmic part. And in perfect time, Alex is going the it's just amazing. It's so yeah. rockin'. It's so rockin'. Ken, I'm surprised this one has kind of gone past your consciousness because I think you would find yeah. it. I would it no, it's
3: not it's it. not so much a melody or a tune for me, but it's just a raging bass line. Yeah. He he, he he definitely he's that anticipations are so crystal clear on this one he, he's yeah. always been he's, he's always been the guy to do that sixteenth note anticipation into the next cool thing but but here i don't know if it's this this the steinberger or what it is but he's, he's just he's just ripping it out
1: with clarity at this yeah. point so his career. so interestingly it's it's a wall bass he was introduced... Um, introduced. I, love- to, I just learned about this tonight. He was introduced to The Wall bass by Peter Collins. And, yep. and apparently it had really super thin strings on.
4: And it really... an awesome... Delivered an incredible tone, yeah. So here's my thing. This album, And Hold Your Fire, Peter Collins. Fucking awesome. Space. Yeah. You know, there it's, it's, it was so yep. much room in the engineering and the production, they were my two favorites because there was space. You know what I mean? It was just sort of like there was sound in between the notes. I can't, yep. I can't express it any better than that, yeah. and I'm done. That's all.
1: I yeah, won't no, elaborate. That's beautiful, <laughs> man.
4: That's. I agree. I love so, okay. these. These are my two favorite Rush albums, and maybe it's because that's where I got hooked on them. Yeah, a, little, a little nostalgia,
0: but yeah, I love these too yeah man That's well, it. And, and and whatever your gateway is, and I had this last week with grace, I mean grace under pressure i I even if I'm looking and talking um, you know objectively about any few shortcomings or anything else, or when we talk about this and, and actually that reminds me of something else I have to say here, um, in my mind. Grace is always going to win any argument because I have this inexplicable emotional attachment to it because th- this that was my gateway. Mm. right. Mm. But I, 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 I do have a, a, another uh, fun quote here from Alex um, about this song. in, in April of '86, he was asked if any of the tracks on the album were specific speci- were especially difficult to cut his reply it's funny there's always one song that you're terrified of doing you think it's going to be really tough and marathon was the one we wrote it and thought this is this song is going to be like pulling teeth once we get into the studio of course we get into the studio and it's a breeze and a song like emotion detector which we thought would be a breeze was the killer so there you go it was a breeze yes So Mucho, what are, you know, before you, uh, you have to, to leave us here, do you have any specific thoughts on marathon?
2: Um, not uh, really marathon, but, um, because I have to go, I do have something I would like to say about uh, territories. Okay. Um, Okay. Great. And, um, there's a couple of really great moments in, in, in territories. And, um, there's sort of the classic one where the um alex's guitar comes in and in a certain spot but i want to say yeah uh yeah i see i know you know exactly you don't even have to articulate We, we know exactly what it is okay so that's the obvious one okay now being that we're on a podcast i'll try to articulate this um beyond you know um sort of a a guttural feeling now there is a moment in territories is a split second that it is the best moment ever in any song any band it is it is just one moment that i just I, i get thrown back it's like somebody just through I like a hard-boiled sit. egg, and I, mean, I swallowed get it like, by accident. Get there! <laughs> get there! What is it? All right, I'm gonna have to play. I I, I just it's it's, it's... now. I'm the the it's, it, comes. You, it, it comes really quick. It is. Listen to the guitar. Um, <laughs> listen to Alex, and it's it's right on the line, uh, in the line Here, where sure. we um. It's when he it says, um, "Like the Chinese call the country of their birth." Yeah. There is this sound Alex does, just like, <laughs> It's like like the whole world just like crashes. Like, yeah, dude. dude, and it's flipping. It just it really gets me, and it's so quick that you you miss it if you if you blink. But so I'll 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 try to. I I think I've I've got it up. That didn't sound too good. Crazy.
1: Oh no, I think he
2: missed it. Oh, all right, let's go back. <laughs> I blew it.
4: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs>
1: I had it. We'll have to try to edit it in later, Tom.
2: All right, hold on. we will try is. to
1: edit in all our favorite parts later. No, here it is. Joe's ready.
2: Alright, it's in the very beginning of this, so I'm just gonna leave it go. It's in the beginning of the song. While we're listening, that is fucking kick drum, drum,
1: that is my favorite kick drum sound of all time. Yeah? It really oh, is. Oh my and God. I
2: I think Colby, this really is a definition of the space that you were talking about. To me, this really gives it the space, you know. It's it's nice to have the build and just like the, the really big sounds. Um mm and it's it's uh, everything everything comes in re- really nice so it's the second line here it comes up it comes up pretty quick but here it comes. It's right there <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's it. That, that is, is, oh, is
1: amazing. we need a yeah. video of that. We totally <laughs> need a video of that. That was that was the Operation Mind Crime moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
2: god. Right. That just gets me every time. <laughs> it's so tastefully done. That is Alex. Life's and that is a tasteful moment where you just, yeah. it's what you Get don't out. give, and it's just give it uh. a nice little touch, and it just it feels so good. Oh, um, uh, do you guys see this thing? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, you just ruined my next factory. <laughs> <ruined> <laughs> That's
3: the second time you ruined it. Oh, my god. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I was going to end I was going to end
2: with you guys having to guess the answer to this now you're all going to guess it <laughs> oh my fun, I gotta go my fun factoid is I, I come from I, I, I get this from an interview that I got other stuff from it's this great interview that uh, a 2012 interview that is, it's that is just it's, Getty. It's it's just it's Getty, and I was gonna have you guys guess it. And in the interview, the guy says, uh, "What's that?" Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Getty. <laughs> if your house was burning, was burning. what's the one thing cold. you would save? <laughs> His, his wall dog. base? <laughs> <laughs> in an interview, one thing Getty would save in his house if his house was on fire. His keyboard.
0: Is.
3: His synth.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, save the Moog, man. You can't replace those. But it's his dog. His dog. We, we know it's. Wait, you guys dog. still didn't get it?
1: Yes, we, we got it.
2: <laughs> All right. All right. All
3: right. I don't know what just happened for the last five minutes, but I had so much fun.
2: <laughs> well, and, and you know, it's good to know that Getty Lee loves dogs. That's good to know. Um, Getty Lee's a good person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it is good. So, you know, this song, that there are, are all the little production things and the arrangement things that happen throughout this whole album that I love. And your other comment, like, at the end of the second chorus, if you will, of, of this song, mm-hmm. um, when they go in different circles, first time they go through, in different circles, we keep spinning round and round and round. And the second right. verse, they go, we keep oh. spinning round and round. And and it goes to the oh. keyboards. Doo, 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 doo. And that's when that huge guitar swell comes in. That's yeah. just like, you're sitting there listening to keyboard swells. And all of a sudden, you're like riding on a wave of Alex Lifeson's guitar. And it's, it's like those little moments throughout this whole album make it so entertaining and so incredible. I love it. This, as I've said probably before... Territories is my favorite song off this album.
4: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Collapse. Our discussion of, of Power Windows will continue on the next episode, but we've certainly enjoyed sharing this first part with you and uh, look forward to uh, continuing this conversation. As always, we encourage and welcome and solicit your input, your feedback, your comments, your questions. You can reach us on the three major social media platforms. That would be Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at Pala Progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A on all of those. Or you can search for Progressive Palaver. Um, You can also send us an email. You can send that to progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, available on iTunes and Google Play for download and subscription. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. We thank you very much.